Alan Greenspan, in February of 2005, went up to Congress and testified before policy or not policy politicians to tell them, as he's required to do by the as he was required to do by the Humphrey Hawkins Act of 1977, to tell them what he thought about the economy and the markets and the state of the general the general state of the world according to the Federal Reserve. But what he said that day is something that we still remember today for one single little word. I'm going to read his quote here, and you'll recognize the word as soon as I do, especially fans of Eurodollar University, members of Eurodollar University who know this, this very well. But here's what Alan Greenspan said to Congress in February of 2005. For the moment, the broadly unanticipated behavior of world bond markets remains a conundrum. Bond price movements may be a short-term aberration, but it will be some time before we are better able to judge the forces underlying recent experience. What he meant by recent experience was, at that time, the Federal Reserve was raising interest rates, a quarter basis points at every single meeting. And by February of 2005, the Fed had already raised the federal funds rate target by about 150 basis points at that time. But at the same time, longer-term bond yields, in particular the 10-year U.S. Treasury, had declined. This to Alan Greenspan was a conundrum because in his mind, in the mind of mainstream economics, the Fed raises rates and everything else goes along with it. Everything else falls in lines. And he even said this to the congressional uh, staff members and, and the Congress members that were there that day. He said, if we raise the federal funds rate by X amount, we expect long-term bond yields to go up by X amount too. He compared it to a series of one-year forwards where the Fed has absolute control over the first forward and then just every maturity just falls in line very nicely, very neatly. Now, the problem with this, there's a couple problems with it. The first problem is that's not how it works, thus the conundrum. And this, Maybe the bigger problem is, it is, and I'm going to get Steve Van Meter's opinion on this in a minute, Everybody believes what Alan Greenspan believes. Even today, where we've had nothing but two decades of one conundrum after another after another, which clearly establishes the market thinks differently than the Fed does. The market acts independently from the Fed, but yet everybody is perplexed by the behavior of interest rates because we're all led to believe, Steve, that the Fed controls interest rates. If Jay Powell wants rates to go up because he wants them to be tight and calls them tight, that's what happens, right? Absolutely. I mean, Alan Greenspan said it best, unanticipated. I think that's the, the I know the word conundrum is what everyone focus on. I like the fact that, hey, we are the Federal Reserve. We are the god of the interest rate market. What we say will happen, what we think will happen, if we even suggest that this could happen, the bond market will do everything we say but for some reason it didn't. And it almost starts to make you wonder, does the federal funds rate matter? Does the balance sheet matter? Does anything the Fed does actually matter? And there's something, Jeff, I wanna bring up because I, I used to have an article, I can't find it, I lost it. I believe it was written by a junior staffer even of the St. Louis Fed and I've gone through the archives, I can't find it. I think it was written in the early 2000s and I bet you've read it. And he wrote this piece, probably five or six pages, and he said, prior to some point in the 1980s, and I'm going to let you dig into this and see if you can fill in the gaps. 
He said, whenever the Fed raised or lowered rates, the front end and the long curve responded accordingly. And it worked. And then he said, for some unknown reason, which we have not identified yet, and we're not sure why, that stopped happening. In fact, the long end of the curve started focusing on your favorite words, inflation and growth expectations. And I want to acknowledge that this guy at the Fed figured this out. And he said the Fed at this point only had control to an extent of the front end of the curve. Yeah, and I don't even like using that word control. I know the I know the article that you're referring to, and it was one of those things that it's so blatantly obvious it was it was like a lightning or thunderbolt at the Fed, right? Because when you step outside of the Federal Reserve cult, for lack of a better term, ideology, because that's what it really is, you realize the Fed is this little speck on the dot of this massive global financial and economic system. But yet, because they don't do money, because they have to do what they have to do, we're led to believe that the sky is filled with Jay Powell's face and you can't see anything. You can't see any of the stars, moon or anything else other than smiling down from the heavens. And it, it you know, it, it's control. That's the thing. They use the word control when it's when it's obvious it's not control, even in the short run, because we talk about that all the time. You said the federal funds target. How about just the federal funds rate itself, the effective rate? How many times has that deviated from target at the worst possible times? We talk about it all the time. Treasury bill rates that are well below RRP. Um, how about G GC repo rates that right now are less than the RRP? So at best, you look at the Fed, it's able to influence short-term rates over a short-run period of time. But eventually, as Greenspan was hinting at back in 2005, reality, conditions in the world as they are, not as we want them to be, eventually have a way of intruding. And they have a way of intruding even on the Federal Reserve's own balance sheet, which means the level of bank reserves. Because we're taught, I mean, bank reserves are every, that's base money, baby. Except, as we were discussing before we started recording here today, there were no bank reserves before 2008, yet the, the system seemed to work fine. How do we reconcile? The Fed says we control everything. We didn't have any bank reserves. All we did was pick a number out of a bucket. Because remember, raising rates in the middle of 2000s, they just arbitrary numbers. Let's, let's raise rates by a quarter basis point every, every meeting. That's not a scientifically determined number. That's just picking a number out of a hat and sticking with it. I think that goes to the, the major point here is the Fed is all for show. It's all for show. And when Alan Greenspan went to Congress in 2005, he actually let slip a little bit of truth here. He, The guy who famously said you can only speak in Fed speak because what he said was if you're saying something, then you know if anybody can understand what you're saying, then you said too much because – when he did, did speak the truth, he had a habit of laying out too much truth, right? Absolutely, because if, you know, this is almost like, you know, the Wizard of Oz, right? And all of a sudden the cloak comes off and you find out that it's not what you thought at all. And I think that's what we're getting at here, Jeff. And then I want to add, because you mentioned all these, you know, various curves that the Fed seemingly has no control over because they don't. But what about the dollar? Because you mentioned they don't do money. But what is the mainstream narrative here? Oh, if the Fed raises rates or any central bank will just say that, their currency must go up in value. But yet, we'll be, maybe we'll just say unanticipated, the dollar is going down in value. Again, if we start looking at the actual evidence here, the Fed has raised rates. 
They've lowered their balance sheet. And what should we be expecting? The dollar should be going up in value. The front end, the long end, hell, every part of the curve should just be going up and going up like crazy. And none of it's happening the way they want. Nothing. I, you know, we talk about Japan, Japan's CPI. Perfect example of how useless bank reserves are and how useless these, these policies are. In 2020, in response to the pandemic, and really response to the government overreaction to the pandemic, the Bank of Japan, which was already still doing QQE for what was back then the sixth or seventh year. That's how effective these things are. It's We're in the seventh year of the most powerful money printing ever. And by God, we're going to get inflation this year, right? They turbocharged QQE in 2020 and prices fell. Prices further fell in Japan, despite this massive, I think it was a hundred and some odd trillion additional yen that the, the, the Bank of Japan created out of thin air. Prices fell. Then this year, this year they say, oh, we're going to stop. We're going to wind QQE down. We're still doing it a little bit. And over the last six months, the level of bank reserves have actually declined in Japan. And guess what? CPIs are at the highest they've been in 40 years. There is no correlation whatsoever between these central bank balance sheets and reality. And it doesn't matter what reality. You want to look at consumer prices. You want to look at the level of economic growth. They keep saying this. This stuff is easing. This stuff is accommodative. Or in the current case of the Federal Reserve, this stuff is tightening. This stuff is restricting. And the answer, I mean, the, the reality is it may be or may not be, but it has nothing to do with the Fed. Yeah, and I think, or any central bank for that matter. I mean, that that is the conundrum here that Alan Greenspan was talking about. That really, the Fed is all show and not a whole lot of go. I mean, and that's a scary position to be in because you have this whole institution, and they've been around a long time. It's not like we just created them yesterday and we're asking them to prove. They have decades of history here, and they've proven, at least in their own mind, how valuable they are. And you would think, Jeff. With I don't know how many hundreds of PhD economists the Fed has. I know they have more than anybody else in the world under one roof, so to speak. Is you would think that we would know with some relative certainty that, hey, you know what? We need to raise the federal funds rate to target inflation. Why do we have to do quarter percents or half a percent or one percent? Why can't they do some of their you know, math and come out and say, hey, you know what? A federal funds rate was 6% tomorrow. That would get rid of inflation. Great. Then why don't we just go straight there? Or what if we needed to unwind the balance sheet to this level? It would get rid of inflation. Why do we have to gradually do it and have all these shenanigans that go on about, well, if there's not enough of this, we'll do some more of that and we'll cap this over here. Why don't we just unload the thing? Because the reality is none of this stuff actually matters. And when you start to get to this point, you know, we talk about, you know, the movie Matrix from time to time. When you start and take that red pill and you wake up and you see reality, it's scary because you realize the people that are allegedly in charge of driving monetary policy and economic growth and all the weird things that the Fed is in charge of, they absolutely have no control over it all, but yet they believe it. Yeah, why don't they, right? Why don't they say, the right level of bank reserves, because bank reserves are everything. The right level of bank reserves is not some round trillion. It's 2.6787218 or whatever the number might be. Why don't they ever say that? That's the number we should get to. Or the right interest rate that is supposed to be tomorrow. We need to raise rates two and a half or two point or 263 and a half basis points. 
No, because it's it's all just a shell game. It goes back to quantitative easing. Quantitative easing was supposed to be that, right? Quantitative easing. The name itself lends you to believe that they deter they did a bunch of Monte Carlo simulations on the sophisticated models and they picked the exact right number of easing. But yet they're always round numbers. It's 600 billion. And it's, oh, we got to do it again. As we were saying before, Japan has been doing QQE. It's now on its 10th year. It's 10th year. Are we waiting for a 10-year decade-long lag for that defect to show up? No, they just, they're just throwing stuff out there and saying, well, we expect it to work. And you raise a good point here. Because why do, they, why do we believe it works? Because they believe it works. And why do they believe it works? And it goes back to the major mistakes of Paul Volcker and the, the era after him. Nobody understood why there was a great moderation. They didn't know. All of a sudden in the late 80s into the 90s and on into the 21st century, the economy in the U.S. found this absolutely stable state where it was inflation was relatively low. There were no major interruptions. There were only two mild recessions between the early 1980s and 2007, and nobody really could figure out why that happened. And at the same time, remember, the rest of the world was prospering in a way that we had never seen before, and nobody could figure this out. So they thought, guys like Ben Bernanke said, we did that. It must have been us. Guys like Greenspan were like, it's possible, but I'm a little worried here. And so Greenspan would say occasionally, I don't think it's us, but maybe it is. Whereas Ben Bernanke said, nope, this is the Fed. We figured out how to do this. We move a federal funds rate around a quarter point here and there. And the whole world just follows along. It's And when you put it like that, Steve, it's just so stupid and absurd. When you listen to what they're actually saying, we move a quarter basis or a federal funds rate a quarter point around and the world just turns out to be rainbows and unicorns. It's It's utterly stupid. And you know what, Jeff, I think I've got the answer here. I've been really thinking about this now while we're doing this show and I've got it for you because, you know, I know we could take some charts and we could put things and say it doesn't line up, but this, there's a really simple solution here. You know, as well as I do, monetary policy works with a lag and these lags are long, not only long, but variable, meaning we don't know how long they are and we don't know at what length they should be, but whatever it needs to be this week or this month or for whatever this meeting is, we're going to adjust that and say, look, maybe it's nine months, maybe it's 19 months. We don't know. But at some point, all this stuff starts to matter. And you'll see it was us that did it. Why? Because we'll just say it was us. Exactly, right? The QQE in Japan didn't fail. It just took nine and a half years to work. <laughs> it's right. it's just, <laughs> but that's what they're asking us to believe. And that's what Alan Greenspan's conundrum was really about. If you fall for this, if you believe, if you don't look at the evidence and you think the Fed is this all-powerful institution, how would you know otherwise? Well, in fact, it's easy to know otherwise. All you got to do is look at bond curves. And that's what he was saying is like, holy crap, the bond market is pointing out maybe all the stuff we had started to believe about the great moderation stuff, maybe it wasn't actually true and it wasn't. Why were interest rates going down in the middle 2000s while Alan Greenspan was raising them? Now, they did go up a little bit toward the end there. But by and large, through that middle 2000 period, long-term rates barely moved as the Fed was hiking them, which meant that eventually you got to that collision point where curves inverted. And all that meant was the long-term and long-term treasuries and long-term credit, investors were saying, 
there's stuff going on here that I'm really nervous about. That whole housing bubble thing, that seems like it could fall apart. And what Alan Greenspan would say is, well, you don't need to worry about that. The Fed will fix any problem that shows up. And the market said, yeah, but you don't know what the hell you're doing. So I'm going to hedge today in case that, you know, 2007 or 2008, it all really does fall apart. And where we're getting to in terms of our discussion here is right now, the Federal Reserve is raising rates again. And over the last six months, seven months, going back to June or July, the Fed has raised rates pretty stoutly. Yet, as of today, long-term bond yields are lower than they were seven months ago. The Fed is raising rates. Long-term bond yields are coming down. It's a conundrum, right? Absolutely. And, you know, the notion that, say, Powell doesn't get this, and I'm going to get the year wrong. Uh, it was either in October of about 2018, rates started to come down, and then did he start QE um, in October of 19, about a year later. Is that right? Right. No, he's the Fed pause was January. The last rate hike was December of 2018. Then there was the Fed pause January 2019. And then the Fed start cutting at the end of July of 2019. And then, okay. yes, not but, QE came a couple months later. Right. But but OK, perfect. But what happened before that is the curve started. They weren't inverting, but they were headed toward inversion. And Powell and his Powell speak or Fed speak, he didn't quite say that it was he was looking at it. But we all know the guy actually is as smart enough and understands the bond market because he came from private equity. He's not some Ph.D. economist. And so we kind of figured out then that he was watching the bond market and going, "Uh oh, this is going to be a problem. I better go front run this deal today. What is he saying? Oh, the bond market doesn't mean anything. I don't care about inversions. I don't care how steep there. It doesn't matter. It's like, but years ago you did. Why the change now? I mean, it just goes to show that they have no idea what they're doing and they're running on arbitrary targets of a lagged indicator called the consumer price index. And they're going to do whatever they have to do, whether it's QE, QT, hikes, cuts, you name it. When the CPI gets anywhere close to 2%, you know what they're going to do, Jeff? They're going to celebrate and have a victory party because they were the ones that did it. Had nothing to do with the economy slowing down. Had nothing to do with the fiscal stimulus that led to a supply shock to the economy. Had nothing to do that we shut the economy down. Had nothing to do with anything but the Fed. If there's one message we want to send here today, and this is this comes from both of us, what we're really trying to say is the markets lead the Fed, not the other way around. That was Alan Greenspan's conundrum. He thought the Fed says we go this way and everybody follows along with Alan Greenspan, when in reality, and this is not just a couple instances, every single time the market goes this way, eventually, eventually, the Fed follows the market, not the other way around. And what we're seeing in the marketplace, we probably we don't have time to really go over the details, but we're seeing all the signals in the market, whether it's forward rates, treasury bill prices that are now bunching up and inverting. The day when the Fed realizes it needs to follow where the markets go is coming closer and closer and closer. No, by the way, guess what? The economy looks exactly like the curve said it would too. So the Fed follows the markets at a, dare I say it, at a lag. I love it, Jeff. That, yes, with an unanticipated lag. We'll add that word because that is the word of the day, an unanticipated lag. Hey, as always, it's great to be on your show.
Yeah, thanks for joining me again, Steve. Unanticipated fun as always. We'll see you again next week. <laughs>